abortion has got to be uh, the the preferred topic of conversation, I think. It's re- rehashed and recycled from time to time. Uh, so we're going to address this uh, from a slightly different perspective, uh, coming at it from a historical perspective and also as kind of a continuation of what we've already established uh, with uh, natural rights doctrine and our understanding of the Constitution. Uh, what I will not be doing is attempting to address uh, the morality of abortion. Instead, uh, we will uh, try to deal with it uh, specifically just as it exists in law, uh, natural rights theory, and uh, also just a little bit of philosophy in here too. So uh, it's one of the uh, kind of proper, uh, more popular uh, kind of techniques that's uh, being swirled about uh, here presently. Uh, is the uh, arguments that extend back to the founding era. Now, that's actually not a bad way uh, to try and uh, analyze and understand a modern problem. Uh, In fact, the entire premise of the 1787 project uh, and a bulk of this podcast is the validity of applying a genuine historical understanding uh, to modern events. But of course, in order to do that, you have to have a factually accurate uh, source of that history to be applied. Uh, hence the, uh, my very, very clear uh, personal animus against historical revisionism uh, in general, uh, which is ironically uh, very similar to my formal education, uh, which was uh, in English, and the uh, propensity to interpret literature not for the things that it meant, but for the things that it meant to us, the student, uh, which I think is a uh, not only a simplistic and kind of a weak way to approach intellectual development, uh, but also disingenuous, uh, because uh, the Constitution, for example, says a certain thing, and it does not matter what you think it says. Uh, there are many cases where it is written so uh, overtly that it does not require interpretation. Uh, Hence the 1787 project. Uh, But specific to abortion, uh, it is a good idea, and we're going to go back in time just a little bit here, uh, to the uh, colonial period and the founding era. So initially within the British colonies, uh, and this this aspect confuses some people, uh, not every law was actually recorded. they had the English common law, which was understood to apply universal, universally to all uh, British colonies. Uh, it's very similar uh, to the Ius Gentium of the uh, Roman Empire, uh, only that it applied uh, domestically but also internationally to uh, different uh, colonies. And the way that the, it approached uh, abortion was uh, actually very reflective of uh, what, uh, what are generally called the heartbeat bills of the modern day. If the, the, They used the term quickened, which was to mean that the, the baby could be felt to move. And obviously due to the limitations of technology at the time, uh, that was then understood to be when life began. And so if you were to uh, abort the fetus prior to quickening, uh, it was labeled as a misdemeanor, and if it was aborted after quickening, it was treated as a felony. 
Um, now, there were many instances, of course, as in all laws, which we know either through our own personal experiences or through reading the uh, two-tier uh, legal system and justice system that exists at the present day uh, for citizens uh, versus those of political connections. Uh, there was several uh, instances of selective enforcement. Uh, just because something was law does not necessarily mean that it was enforced, uh, which it's no really no different than getting, getting pulled over and let off with a warning, that kind of thing. Now, what, uh, what changed, though, is as science developed, uh, it came to be understood instead that life actually began at inception. This was the universally recognized truth for a very long period of time, actually really up, uh, up and until uh, the 1960s uh, when the, uh, the great uh, constitutional charade began. So in, in uh, Britain changed their laws in the late uh, 1860s and uh, the states changed their laws around the same time period. And all they really did was they removed the consequence of the misdemeanor for pre-quickening and any abortion was treated as a felony. So if we're looking back for historical examples, which it, 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 honestly, it's, it's a little puzzling to me how pro-abortion activists will say, well, look, look how they did things at the colonial time and then the founding era, uh, where these states had all these different, different laws. And of course, the answer is, well, yes. And that's exactly what would occur uh, should the leaked opinion of the court that would overturn Roe v. Wade uh, become a reality. So they're, they're citing an instance that would be the result of this decision, and there's, they're citing that instance as being preferable, but then they're rallying against it the modern day. So they're saying, look, the way it existed before was great, but somehow making it that way again is awful and it's an abuse of human rights and women's rights and reproductive care and health care rights and human rights and all these imaginary things that are that are created uh, whenever you base your life philosophy on something as subjective and arbitrary as positive freedoms so how about the the constitutionality of abortion so we, i mean one of the most powerful uh, legal uh, influencers on the founding uh, and the founders, obviously, as a consequence, uh, was an English judge by the name of William Blackstone, uh, which on a, he wrote a very, very famous uh, kind of judicial treatise called Commentaries and the Laws of England, which I reference a lot of, uh, you know, kind of air quotes, really old stuff for a lot of my podcasts. Uh, and especially throughout the 1787 project. Uh, but Judge Blackstone, actually, uh, he writes in such a way that it's very, uh, very attainable to the modern reader. Uh, I found myself actually rather enjoying uh, what he had to say. In fact, one of my many things I would like to, uh, like to digest on a more extensive level is, are his commentaries. Uh, and... Blackstone, I do believe, was the second most often cited uh, source for many of the uh, founding era documents uh, authored by the, the founders. So it's, he's an established authority. Let's just uh, let's just summarize it that way. 
Now, in his commentaries, uh, uh, Judge Blackstone writes, and I quote, For if a woman is quick with child, and by a potion, or otherwise kills it in her womb, or if anyone beat her, whereby the child dies in her body, and she is delivered of a dead child, this, though not murder, was by the ancient law homicide or manslaughter. But at present it is not looked upon in quite so atrocious a light, though it remains a very heinous misdemeanor. So here, abortion is still acknowledged as, uh, well, as an act of illegality. Uh, James Wilson was a signer of the Declaration and one of the original justices of the Supreme Court. Uh, and of course he was also a teacher. Uh, so he taught his students that with consistency, beautiful and undeviating, Human life, from its commencement to its close, is protected by the common law. In the contemplation of law, life begins when the infant is first able to stir in the womb. By the law, life is protected not only from immediate destruction, but from every degree of actual violence, and in some cases, from every degree of danger. So we can see kind of these older references that they uh, refer to the stirring or the quickening or movement uh, of the baby, which for... Uh, at this point was still kind of the the way that they identified life beginning. Uh, clearly, these same statements would apply then uh, at an earlier date when we apply, when we uh, apply them with the new understanding of when life begins, uh, which was inception uh, for actually most of the of the uh, 19th century. Uh, now James Madison, founding father, uh, he appointed uh, St. George Tucker as a onto the courts. And George Tucker also taught at the College of William and Mary. And he actually wrote a very nice uh, treatise that uh, was kind of a rehashing of uh, Judge Blackstone, but with added commentaries and whatnot. Uh, I'm certainly a, a, a thrilling read, I have no doubt. Uh, but he, he also wrote, uh, that is a great misdemeanor to kill a child in its mother's womb. Now, laws in the uh, American states, they criminalized abortion uh, really from the beginning of the formation of the states. Uh, Virginia outlawed any use of using uh, abortives to unlawfully destroy the child within the womb uh, and actually classified it as murder. Uh, and a lot of these laws within these different states that either put restrictions or bans uh, on abortion were authored by the same men who were responsible for the founding documents. And we can still, we can see this manifested to the current day, uh, which is actually kind of a, a conf really confusing uh, hypocrisy of law, or at least the conflict of law. So if you are a drunk driver, or let's just say you were careless, uh, and you hit a pregnant woman with your car, and she lost the baby, that's manslaughter. If she and the baby are both killed, that is then two counts of manslaughter. If you murder a pregnant woman, it results in two charges of homicide. If you attempt to murder a woman and it only successfully kill the infant within her, you are charged with one count of homicide. Any type of medical malpractice, whether it's a, 
a, a new pharmaceutical drug or a medical procedure uh, that the mother is not warned about that then leads to the death of her unborn baby, uh, those doctors or that company or whatnot are held legally responsible and, and malpractice uh, procedures are then implemented. So throughout law, it's recognized that the child is a child. Uh, none of these laws, there's no laws that I'm aware of anyway, that specify, well, you can, you can beat a pregnant woman as long as she's in the first trimester. And then if she loses that baby, then you wouldn't get tried for manslaughter. Uh, that would be a very dystopian. So <clears throat> when, you, uh, when you argue that abortion should be protected legally or in laws, you're really confronted with two possibilities. Either that that's utterly irreconcilable uh, with natural law theory, natural rights, common law, and our actual existing legal structure, uh, or uh, you would uh, have to change all existent laws to reflect that society does not recognize unborn children as human beings, uh, so that if you uh, caused the miscarriage of a woman, uh, you wouldn't be held responsible. Uh, otherwise, having uh, no restrictions and whatnot on abortion is really irreconcilable with the current governing legal structure. So let's examine abortion uh, against the kind of broader uh, backdrop of founding rights, uh, the founding doctrine of, of natural rights, uh, which we've alluded to just, just shortly here earlier. So the, the, the first element of natural rights theory is the preservation of life. Uh, every human being has the right to live. Uh, that's where murder comes from, homicide uh, and the like. Uh, now, this is considered supreme to every other right. Uh, so that is also where the uh, a very good case and a correct case, in my opinion, can be made that uh, abortion that uh, is meant to save the life of the mother uh, is utterly unlike any other case in that you, through natural rights uh, theory, you cannot ask someone to die for somebody else. Uh now, the way that would that would work out, let's put it as a hypothetical. A woman is undergoing chemotherapy uh, for uh, cancer treatments, and she becomes pregnant. She maintains her therapies, and then the, the pregnancy is terminated as a result. That is not, um, that does not run afoul of natural rights theory. Uh, that does not make it any less tragic or awful that she was in that situation. Um, but just looking at things clinically, uh, then that is the obvious exception uh, to how that works. And that, that actually agrees perfectly uh, with natural rights philosophy, uh, which we're going to get to a couple instances uh, where the, uh, the very untenable uh, pro-abortion arguments that are on the national stage at current uh, prove themselves to be untenable. Now, it, sh it should be specified, however, <clears throat> that the... Uh, the preservation of life means 
being alive. That does not mean that if a, a baby is interpreted as a burden or a struggle uh, or some type of uh, you know, confounding factor to life goals, that does not constitute uh, a preservation of life. Uh, and we, we see that kind of, uh, kind of abuse or attempted abuse and distortion of uh, governing philosophy. Uh, there were in, in different instances where abortion was illegal except in the health of a mother. Uh, many doctors who helped with this process, obviously, uh, would simply say, oh, well, being pregnant and having a child would stress the mother out too much, and so therefore uh, she qualifies for a medical abortion uh, to, uh, to safeguard her, her health. Uh, and so that, again, is, is a difficulty that you come into when you're using subjective and arbitrary uh, foundational understandings of things. So abortion really could only be categorized, and I actually it's kind of uh, really rather not use, use the phrase, but it is what it is. Uh, it would be considered a positive freedom in that it is something that the government uh, then allows for you to do. It is not something that you have a right to do. Uh, and, of course, that would also mean, then, that the government has, is in a position where it can regulate that freedom, air quotes with my fingers, freedom, uh, in any and all ways that it saw fit. Uh, but in order for that to uh, remain coherent, uh, it would have to alter all existent laws that also affect unborn babies, which I addressed earlier. So the modern debate uh, over abortion uh, really stems from a gross act of judicial activism. Uh, and it's interesting in that if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, it would simply return things to the states the way they had been, in the way that presumably uh, many pro-abortion activists prefer. Uh, the idea that overturning Roe v. Wade would outlaw abortion everywhere is a, is a, a actually a very absurd thing to say. Uh, and nobody who says that uh, is someone who should be uh, taken seriously. Uh, what it would do, actually, if you were a, a stalwart pro-abortion individual, uh, it would create an environment where you could move to a state or use the resources of a state uh, that were radically pro-abortion. Uh, and then if you're someone who is opposed to such things, then you can move to a state uh, that is uh, stricter on their uh, abortion regulations. There's a, a word for this. Uh, it's kind of the whole reason that we formed with individual states. Uh, so the the truly kind of, I guess, ironic part of this is that, and this, I think, reflects on kind of the, the overall a distorted view of government that uh, that reigns supreme today. Uh, it's inter if the uh, it is interpreted and understood that if the federal government does not use its supreme force uh, to make something legal in all states, that that is the same as denying uh, denying that to the citizens, uh, which of course is ridiculous and. Uh, like many arguments, is utterly untenable. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, 
if one were to really argue for kind of a, a federal type ban uh, on abortion, that would be the more uh, arguable position. Uh, it would be simple uh, to be essentially arguing for a federal law uh, against uh, murder of children. And it is for this reason that uh, there's so many kind of parallels drawn between abortion and slavery as well. Uh, so uh, going a little further in time now, abortion was really popularized and expanded uh, with, and within the progressive era. And the reason for that was uh, for eugenics, uh, human selective breeding. And one of the elements necessary for that is for the people that were considered inferior, uh, which just as kind of an obvious thing, would all blacks were considered inferior at this time uh, by the eugenicists. Um, the, uh, they needed to be controlled, their population to be controlled. And uh, part of the reason for that was because they were uh, still considered in many respects to be uh, animalistic, barbaric, unable to control their sexual urges. Uh, really, the old Democrat Southern arguments uh, that justified slavery, uh, they just blew the dust off, uh, kind of shook off their Civil War defeat, and decided to apply it from a more scientific perspective. Uh now, what's truly ironic is that uh, we see these same ideas presented today. Uh, so Dr. Yashika Robinson, uh, who recently testified uh, in front of the Congressional Committee on uh, Abortion Rights, uh, and she's a board member of Physicians for Reproductive Health and the director of the Alabama Women's Wellness Center. So she's a bigwig. She's very important, you see. Uh, now, she testified on May 18th. And she defined a lack of abortion as, a, as racist and as a tenant of white supremacy. So Dr. Robinson, who I don't know what her medical credentials are, uh, you know, C's get degrees is always the kind of the wink thing we talked about back when I was unfortunately still being formally educated. Uh, but it is apparent that she hasn't taken the time to acquaint herself with the historical background for the thing that she uh, is an unyielding uh, advocate for, uh, because it was implemented as a tool of white supremacy and premised completely on racist beliefs of black inferiority. So her historical illiteracy uh, has her uh, contending for the opposite of truth here. Uh, so as a, a black woman herself uh, and arguing for abortion, uh, she is in fact carrying the torch for the uh, kind of the early 20th century anti-black racist uh, KKK uh, meeting attending Margaret Sanger. Uh, and the fact that she's a black woman pushing this is also not unusual. Uh, you can go back to uh, the words of Webb Du Bois, who worked alongside Margaret Sanger for the air quotes Negro Project, uh, which was a structured design and plan to uh, use pastors and other community leaders to encourage blacks to uh, not only allow the construction of abortion facilities, but to actively use them as well. Uh, of course, you know, Webb Du Bois himself was an elitist. Um, he considered 90% of blacks to be, well, essentially the same status as uh, many uh, Southern plantation owners had less than a century before. They were inferior 
um, that they could not control their urges, that they were without character. All those, all the good things that make him so heralded in the modern discourse when they talk about civil rights leaders. Uh, and the uh, NAACP published articles in their crisis magazine at the time, arguing for more abortion centers, especially in Harlem, and actually much like Dr. Yashika Robinson, uh, argued that the fact that there weren't, quote-unquote, enough abortion centers uh, was in fact racist, and it was a direct assault against the black community to give birth, apparently. Uh, so the whole purpose of abortion uh, was to expand programs meant to limit the population of non-Anglo-Saxons. So uh, Dr. Yashika Robinson uh, could really literally not be more wrong on her position. Uh, and she is incorrect uh, on historical matter, and it's evidenced throughout uh, the writings and the pertinent records of the time. It's it's literally a click away on the old Google machine. It's, it's not a hidden secret. Uh, but I do write about that extensively uh, in the 1787 project, uh, though I have not yet revised, edited, and published that one. But it is forthcoming. Now, the, uh, she was not the only star witness, of course, uh, that came out uh, during the, uh, this House Judiciary Committee hearing. Uh, Representative Mike Johnson, he's from a Republican from Louisiana, uh, he uh, was uh, questioning Amy, and I don't know how to pronounce her last name, it's A-R-R-A-M-B-I-D-E. Uh, he was asking her what the difference was between killing a two-year-old child and a child that's eight inches up the birth canal. So I'm going to go ahead and read his words directly. So he said, and I quote, if it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a 10-year-old child and a 2-year-old child, same thing, that would be murder. We would all agree that's wrong. Then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is 2 years old or 9 months old or 1 week old or an hour old than one that is 8 inches further up the birth canal in the uterus? Why, or what is the difference? Why is it okay in the latter cases to perform abortions? but not in the former cases. Now, uh, Mrs., I'm going to say Erin Bede, uh, she has a, uh, she is a graduate of law school, and she has a PhD in philosophy. And she was utterly unable to answer this question. Instead, she just repeated the same kind of general uh, platitude, kind of knee-jerk response, I think a woman should be allowed to do with her body, whatever, she, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, the reason that she couldn't respond to that effectively. It's because there is no effective response, uh, because there is no difference between a baby that is fresh out of the womb and by these standards immune to abortion and the one still in the womb. Uh, there, there really is no difference. Different DNA, uh, different toes, fingers, heart, everything is different. Uh, so the natural rights theory, of course, does extend to the fact that women should be able to make decisions about their own body. But that same theory also protects the unborn f for, from death and for the purpose of life. That is why it is life, liberty, and then the pursuit of happiness, because the two are a requisite uh, for the final one. So examining some of these arguments now... Uh, and withholding any kind of moral or religious arguments uh, 
the, uh, the attempts to frame abortion as a constitutional right or as uh, some type of kind of inherent right or a woman's right or all these other euphemisms used uh, really do not hold any position that is defensible. Uh, there are many arguments that have been repeated and then destroyed, dismantled, uh, that don't really bear uh, repeating. Uh, but we can call back on history, uh, see what the thing, what the purpose was of abortion, see how the colonial period, how they viewed it and used it, English common law throughout the founding era, what the founders felt uh, about abortion. Uh, and really, at that at that point, one could still present moral arguments or other arguments, but what they cannot do is argue from a position that assumes uh, constitutionality, uh, coherency of the law, or any type of recognition uh, with existing patterns of uh, kind of legal doctrine.